This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hi, Blue Wire listeners. I'm Greg Olson. I'm excited to partner with Blue Wire to bring you TE1, a podcast where I interview the tight ends who have revolutionized the position. Listen in as I have raw, in-depth conversations with the all-time greats like Shannon Sharp, Tony Gonzalez, Travis Kelsey, and George Kittle. We'll explore how the tight end position has changed over the last 60 years and what it takes to be the very best. Subscribe to TE1 from Blue Wire Studios today so you're ready for the August premiere. Fox creeping forward. He pulls up. 18-footer. Aaron Fox puts the Kings on top. Takes one, stakes twice. Gives the belly. 35-foot three for the win. Nemanja Bialica. Yes, we deserve this win, man. When we're done, we can go chop it up, eat, golf, whatever you want to do. But 40, 48 minutes, I ain't about them games. Welcome back to another episode of the King's Pulse Podcast. My name is Brendan Nunez. Got Rich Ivanowski on in here as we usually do. What's going on, Rich? How you doing, man? Oh, I mean, I'm not doing well. That's certainly definitely definitely not happening. Uh, the Sacramento Kings have been in shambles for their first two bubble games. But, you know, look, we're going to podcast today about something very, very different. We're going to talk about... Basically every other team in the league, as well as the Kings, but this is going to take our mind off the pain and suffering. Uh, we've got two fantastic guests on today to talk about draft picks. We're doing an entire mock draft. You probably won't hear all of it in this episode, but about the full first round. And uh, I want to introduce Bryant West to the show first. Bryant, a frequent guest. How are you doing today? I'm great, guys. Thanks for having me on. Been looking forward to this for a while. Absolutely, and we got uh, a double header here. Uh, Nate Miller joins us as well. These are our two draft guys. You guys have been on together before as well. We got it's a full house. It's a it's a draft of Palooza today. How are you doing, Nate? I'm good. I'm good. Looking forward to it. I uh, you know I think my old line is I'm, maybe I'm a Kings fan first, but that sort of just means you're an NBA draft fan. It's true, yeah. Rich and I have definitely uh, started to dive into the draft a lot this year and plan on doing it here on. Uh, we've done a bunch of the draft profiles on this KP feed, and yeah, going through this entire first and second round mock is uh, definitely going to be fun and a good thought exercise where we split up the four teams between all of us. And Rich, you kind of headed breaking this up and laid it out for us. You want to dive into how we're really doing this for him? Yeah, so like I said, we divided up the entire draft. Each of us has seven or eight teams, and each of us has exactly 15 picks. Took some complicated mathematics that I won't get into right now to figure out how that all breaks down. Also, everyone is is evenly divided in terms of 
basically where they're picking in the draft. Everyone has, you know, for example, three lottery picks, three late second rounders, all that stuff pretty evenly distributed. So I will run down who each person is going to be picking for tonight and possibly tomorrow night. We'll see we'll see how the episode breaks up. But we're gonna start off with Nate, who has got Minnesota, the LA Clippers, Atlanta, Toronto, our Sacramento Kings, Denver, and San Antonio. Myself, I've got the Golden State Warriors, the LA Lakers, Charlotte, Utah, Chicago, Milwaukee, Portland, and Dallas. Bryant is controlling the Knicks, the Pacers, the Pistons, the Heat, the Wizards, the Nets, and the 76ers. And Brendan, you will be taking on the Cavaliers, the Grizzlies, your Boston Celtics, OKC, New Orleans, Orlando, and Phoenix. Complete coincidence that I ended up with Boston. Definitely, yeah. We definitely, definitely didn't plan that. Um, so you yeah, totally didn't make me swap. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, we're we're going to be trying to put a relatively tight timer on each pick, um, three minutes apiece. We'll we'll see how that plays out. Um, any just before we dive right in, any general comments that uh, either. Nate or Bryant, either one of you just want to chip in as far as just what this draft might be like or, you know, how this draft class looks in general? I think a good programming note is to mention that this is just a straight draft order. Um, It's no lottery has not been factored into this. Um, So I I think that's a good good thing to go off off the top. but, yeah, I think uh, it's been well yeah, documented. I, I just kind of add that, you know, I think we don't really know what next season is going to be like, both in the NBA, uh, the G League, um, you know, what the budgets for these teams will look like. Will, will teams try to keep their rosters trimmed? So, you know, I don't want to give away my draft philosophy in the second round or anything, but I, I do think that, you know, I, I felt like we saw last draft that there was a lot of buzz about teams kind of pre-negotiating with players, whether they were willing to take two ways. Um, and then in the first round, even, Chuma Okike, um, you know, he signed a deal that just made him play in the G League and instead of even starting his rookie scale contract. And so I'm kind of wondering if there's going to be that, a little bit of that maneuvering as teams kind of just watch you know, uh, the amount of money they're spending on that back end of the roster and the dev- developmental side. Yeah, I know you're chomping at the bit for part two of this episode already, Nate. I know the second round is where you thrive. <laughs> um, I think, did uh, did you have any final thoughts on the on this first round? Brian, I think you may have got cut off briefly. And, and again, we're going to probably be, this is our first time doing a, a, a podcast of this length, this many people, so bear with us. But, um yeah, you brought something up that's important, Brian. This is a straight-up uh, no-lottery order, and we're taking the the order that was before we started any games in the bubble. So this is the order that we've been working with for months. Um, yeah, and obviously no trades. Any other thoughts there, Brian? No, I just think it's important to note that, uh, you know, this is a, a very weird draft in terms of talent uh, and in terms of, how the world is 
going around right now. So uh, it'll be definitely interesting to look back on this in three months and we're having a NBA draft in October and uh, see how much the thought about all these players that we're going to be picking right now has changed. Absolutely. All right, boys. Uh, are we ready to get into it? Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah. All right. First up on the clock, it's me. I control the Golden State Warriors, and uh, the pick is in. I've got the choice here. It's a relatively controversial choice, but I also think that there are there. You know, every pick at number one, especially for the Golden State Warriors would be very controversial, would be relatively controversial. There's not a consensus number one overall pick in this draft. And I also think it's it's pretty relatively evident that the Warriors could have a desire to trade down. And if I was in, you know, if this mock involved trades, you betcha, I'd be very aggressively trying to use this number one pick to add another veteran to the Golden State roster, but that's not an option for me. So I'm I'm just going to get my pick out on the table here, and I'll give a, a very brief reason, but I'm going with James Wiseman, number one overall for Golden State. It's not going to be – no one on draft Twitter will applaud this pick, but he was the consensus number one guy out of high school, didn't really play much since then. But he's a he's a very raw, very high ceiling prospect. I would say, you know, arguably the highest ceiling in the entire draft if it all truly works out. Just the size, just the standing reach, the fluidity for his size. And yeah, last point here is that the Warriors I mean, they need a they need a center. That's probably their most glaring hole. So if they're gonna Pick someone at, at one, I think that this is the way to go. Yeah, I mean, I definitely see where you're coming from there. Uh, upside, obviously, a team that, you know, they're looking to win now, but I think Wiseman will come in and be a decent rim protector out the gate, and then you also do have uh, the potential of him uh, reaching that point. Um, Nate, what are your thoughts on Wiseman going one while I kind of move over my – second pick for the Cleveland Cavaliers? I mean, I think you, you take a look at the front court they rolled out this season. I mean, obviously, Green is your small ball five. You know, Pascal had a really great rookie season. Um, he's kind of, he's you know, he's kind of a four. Um, and then you got you got Bender, you know, Chris Looney, who was injured, and um, Smilagic. I don't really know how to pronounce his name, but, you know, they, they just don't really have a guy that's, you'd even consider, like, a top backup center. So I, I, that's not the center I would go with. Uh, I think I'd go with a Kongwu. Um, I think they have a little bit of, you know, I do think that they're comfortable playing with some smaller bigs. Um, but I could also see them going with Wiseman if they just like his measurables. And, and um, you know, I know he, he has seen David Robinson as his own personal, um, you know, a guy that he wants to pattern his game after. You know his the sample size in college was really was really small, but uh, you know if if others have, have said that his fit is a little bit more like a DeAndre Jordan or even a Clint Capella, that could probably work pretty well in the offense if they were just really comfortable with 
don't know, basically getting any level of production out of him within the primes of their, you know, top three players. Yeah, and uh, I'm ready here with the second selection for the Cavs. I actually would have gone Wiseman. I was expecting him to be on the table. Um, instead, I'm going to go for Anthony Edwards here of Georgia. I think he's another one of the ridiculous high upside guys in this draft and seems to pretty regularly be within the top three and often even that top spot in a lot of mocks. Um, just obviously a great athletic build to him with some great balance, a quick first step. I think that he works decently off the ball, but mostly you're getting a lot of on-ball shot creation that maybe there's some issues with efficiency, and I would have liked defensive floor raiser for a terrible Cavs team, but really, I mean, you don't have all too much going on from them outside of their two guards in Sexton and Garland. And, yeah, Edwards, you maybe would hope for a little bit of a bigger wing, but just going upside here for the Cavs at number two. Yeah, I think that's the right pick. Um, I know that Darius Garland and uh, Colin Sexton make this kind of a really interesting fit versus BPA argument uh, when it comes to wherever the Cavs end up picking. But I definitely think in the the, the top of this draft like this, uh, Anthony Edwards would make a ton of sense for Cleveland just because he's, to me, the highest ceiling player in this draft. Um, I would really hope that uh, Cleveland's developmental staff uh, improves over the next year. I know it's been a a very rocky year for that entire organization. Um, but I definitely don't think they could go wrong taking uh, the best scoring prospect in the class. And I think that Anthony Edwards offers uh, some versatility that could fit well with whichever one of those point guards becomes the uh, leader of the future. Yeah, I like the pick. I definitely like the pick. Edwards is my number one overall personally on my big board for the year. I think that's kind of found money at number two. Um, you can make arguments for other players, but, you know, Lonzo is the other guy that I have close up there with Edwards, but there's just too much redundancy there with Sexton and Garland. So, uh, oh, excuse me, LaMelo Ball, uh, excuse me there. Uh, uh, LaMelo is the other guy you can consider there, but obviously he's going to need the ball in his hand a lot, and I think there's too much redundancy with Garland and Sexton. So better to get the, the big, strong guy in there that can, you know, at least play on the wing a little bit more. Um, that's about it from me. Up next on the clock, Nate, are you ready with uh, the Minnesota pick? Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to take one of the names I mentioned with the third pick. Uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves will select the freshman center out of USC, Onyeka Okongwu. Um, you know, I think he was uh, he fits that productive energy big. Um, you know, he, he was a really good shot blocker. You could raise some questions about his poor rebounding percentage uh, in comparison to the position, position, but I think you have to recognize he also shared the floor uh, with another big, um, and so that kind of limited at least the percentage, even if his counting stats still looked good there. I think ultimately the, the Timberwolves are kind of a tough – they're a tough team to really pick what you think direction they would go. I mean, I look at it like you got Russell and you have Towns, and you just have to find the pieces that fit within them. Um, they at least have some developmental prospects in Colburn and uh, Akoji, and they liked, I think, what like Nas Reed gave as like a backup center. But so really, for me, it was kind of the best best prospect from uh, the two to the four. I think Akongwu and, and Towns would actually pr- 
who's a pretty good defensive combination with, with stretchability for both of them, even if you would you know, definitely rely on Towns for most of the stretch options. Other than that, I think I was kind of really ranking, you know, Denny and uh, Hal Burton as uh, two other good options if, if he wasn't available. I, I think I really do think that they're going to look for players that really help enhance the skills of wrestling Towns. I absolutely love this pick. Um, I know that there's going to be a lot of people who are clamoring for LaMelo Ball here, but um, I, I have Onyeka Okongwu second on my overall big board. Um, I think he'd be an absolute fantastic fit next to Carl Anthony Towns. Um, he'd really give that team the defensive anchor that they so really, really need. Um, and I think uh, that'd be one heck of a big man core to build with for the next uh, five to ten years. So I really like that pick. Yeah, I definitely was expecting Lomelo to go here. Uh, I know Rich has been a fan of the Cat Onyeka pairing, and I, I definitely see why there. And yeah, I mean Lomelo, I'm definitely shocked to not see him go here. I understand, and I think it's going to be really interesting considering the next picks, the Hawks, that clearly have their lead guy in Trey Young as well. Um, but I don't know, you like that pairing, Rich? I've seen you go to that one before. I definitely have, although recently I'm I'm falling a little bit out of love with Yeka. It's not so much that, it's just it's just that I think he's in a tier that is just pretty deep. Like I you know, generally speaking, consensus wise, Ball and uh, Edwards kind of stand out and then you know, I, I obviously I picked Wiseman first, who is getting love in that area, but it's more of like you know, a lot of experts expect NBA teams to consider him up there, but you know, even for myself, he's he's outside of this tier of like two through eight, and there's a lot of guys in there, and I could just see Onyeka moving up and down and anywhere kind of in there. My only concern for Minnesota is that while Towns is a great stretch option, he also kind of needs to feast inside at times as well. So recently, I have been looking more at complimentary guards, like another combo guard to work with, D'Angelo Russell perhaps, but really you can't go wrong. And anyone that is going to add defense to that team, you can't go wrong. So I don't mind the pick at all. Um, And it's actually going to go back to Nate again now, this time for Atlanta. Have we given you enough of a rest here to to make that pick? Yeah, yeah. So the number four pick, uh, the Hawks will select Isaac Okoro, uh, freshman wing out of Auburn. Um, one of the things that stood out to me um, when I was kind of doing a little data dive comparing a lot of different players was um, just how strong he is as a slasher um, and how strong he is at getting to the line. The weird part about that, for someone that scores that way, he's, he he could rebound a little bit better. Um, I think I'm just not entirely sure what the Hawks would do, aside from I don't I don't see Ball as a guy that they're going to want because I don't think they want to take the ball to Trey. And Toppin's a little bit too much, um, you know, like John Collins. So that sort of takes him out of there. I, you know, I think I think Killian Hayes and Halliburton are also good, good fits, but maybe they need the ball um, a little a little more. Um, and so it, it really felt like when you have to build your offense around Trey Young, you really know that you need to have strong defenders. And if they put – if they surround him with, 
Okoro, Herder, Reddish, and Hunter, and only half of those guys hit, then you still have two of your starters on the wing. Um, and so I, I was leaning there. If, if, if uh, he was available, it felt like Anthony Edwards, the other, uh, the other wing from the state of Georgia in the lottery, felt like a guy they, they would target. Um, I, I think a dark horse pick could be could still be like Danny or, or Halliburton again, another guy that kind of serves as a conduit to their other stars. Yeah, wow, I uh, I definitely like the pick there. I'm sure that Bryant does too. Bryant's a big Okoro guy, uh, admittedly. And I want to ask uh, your thoughts on Lamelo, Nate, because obviously a lot of guys would have considered Lamelo for one of these two spots. But I understand uh, your fits with the other two selections. Are you Finding yourself like lower on Lamelo than most guys, do you kind of have them in the same tier as these other ones? Well, so I think there's a part of me that is really intrigued if Lamelo's career is a little bit like late career Sean Livingston. Um, you know, a guy that can lead a second unit, is just kind of shooting over smaller guards. And I know that seems like a bad outcome, but we're talking about a champion. Um, and then, obviously, I think that you, when you're talking about Lamelo Ball, you're still talking about the family, the fit, the the kind of wanting to rise up uh, in the bright lights. And so, there's a couple teams in the lottery that lower down that kind of feel like they're a little bit better fits. And, and it just does seem like to me that this might be a situation where, once the lottery actually happens and the and the list of players are, are lined up, that his agent's probably going to really try to position him. Um, toward the right team rather than the right slot. Yeah, I, it's def, it's interesting that LaMelo is falling. I do think that next even three teams on the board could all use a point guard, so I don't know if he will continue his fall very long. But just to touch back on the pick of Okoro at four for Atlanta, I – Look, I I know Bryant is with you. You know, you guys are coming in here, guests of the show, loving Isaac Okoro, and I get it. I mean, I'm I'm honestly on an island because Brendan loves him too. He's going to be – I'm genuinely worried about his shooting. I, I think that everything else about him is very desirable, but I, I do struggle to see a guy that is genuinely a bad shooter – how he's going to succeed in the NBA with those types of expectations for, you know, a top four pick. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. I think I will say, again, it, it's not the best uh, best argument against that, but he did have um, 101 at-rim makes this season, which was really, really solid for a perimeter player. And, you know, to kind of argue for your point, it's fair to say, did he get that? Was he be able to be able to be that successful just because he's basically a grown man, like he, that he just has an NBA body, and will those advantages go go away when he when he gets to the league? Um, but I think on on that Hawks roster, I don't think he'll be expected uh, to be a go-to scorer. And I mean, he I, he would I feel like he'd even be only the fourth or fifth option even after a couple of years. It seems like you know Reddish might be ahead in the pecking order, for example. So. I think I think ultimately this draft's going to be all about fit and uh, what really aligns with team needs.
Sports are coming back, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Major League Baseball and Basketball is finally kicking off this week, and there's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Check out all the odds, futures, and props to bet on, all available 24-7. And with the return of sports, Bet Online sat down with former pro players Eddie George, Harold Reynolds, and seven-time NBA champion, we'll go with six-time NBA champion, Robert Ory. See what they had to say and what it'll be like playing without fans in a series they're calling Fandemic. Visit betonline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sports news. Remember to use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. Well, the uh, discussion of LaMelo leads perfectly into uh, my debate here because I'm sure in this situation uh, the Ball family would be begging Detroit to let him slip one more pick to uh, New York. Um, but for Detroit, I've got to take LaMelo here. Um, Detroit really just needs star power. Um, they don't really have anybody that is going to be a top, you know, two-player on the championship team in a couple of years unless Blake Griffin can magically um, get healthy. Uh, um, and I think uh, this is a clear fit for them. They really need a point guard uh, so that they can stop pretending that Derrick Rose should be on their roster. Um, they really need that lead guy in the future. And at this point, LaMelo Ball is clearly the best player on the board to me. Um, I've got him third on my personal big board. I know that there's a lot of people out there that have him first or second. Um, but in terms of just an individual skill in this draft class, I don't know that anybody has a greater singular skill than Lamella Ball's passing. Um, we can say all we want that, you know, Australia, the Australian League is a, a dynamically difficult league and, you know, he was getting such a high usage rate and being allowed to take whatever shots he wanted. But there's certainly nothing that can take away from that passing ability. He's just an absolute great playmaker, a great ball handler. And uh, if he really works on that uh, jumper as well as his brother did, uh, I think that he's going to be an excellent point guard for many years to come. Yeah, I think that pick was a pretty pretty easy one to make. Uh, I, I definitely... Agree with that one and surprised to see LaMelo following. And I'm sure Detroit's very happy to end up with him there. And then I think this is where, at least for myself, I start to reach another tier of guys. Um, like kind of Rich talked about where, you know, I, I also understand going fit a little higher. But this is where, to me, there's a, just a pool of guys um, that are all probably uh, ranked about similarly for me that starting with New York here can kind of pick from. Yeah, I got back-to-back picks, so I can uh, just pick for New York. I'm sure that uh, the Knicks fans were really pissed off that Lamella Ball went right before them, but um, I think uh, Killian Hayes would be an excellent uh, um, consolation prize for them. Um, He's the best player available, in my opinion. Um, They clearly need a guard with actual playmaking and scoring abilities, and Hayes is just too good to pass up at this point. Um, I think that his best outcome would be if he went somewhere where he could be both an on- and off-ball guard and not have to control the ball 100% of the time. 
Um, that certainly isn't New York right now because they don't really have any other guards that I consider long-term um, fits for that roster. But uh, R.J. Barrett will demand a certain amount of usage with the ball, uh, so I don't think that's terrible. And uh, Donovan, I mean, um, Mitchell Robinson would be really good at helping uh, Killian get used to NBA defenses and know that he's got somebody in the back to uh, cover up his mistakes. So uh, for New York, I know that there's a couple other guys they could consider here. Um, I know you guys selected Obi Toppin last time. Uh, he might be a good fit if they didn't have a bajillion other power forwards. Um, and if Killian was off the board, I'd seriously look at Cole Anthony. But for me, this is a, a clear, easy selection. It's interesting. I'll say, hmm, I, I really like Killian Hayes. And I think that he's probably going to be a better player than a couple other point guard types on the board in Tyrese Albertan and Cole Anthony. And uh, there's not, I mean, you get to, you get down to Kyra Lewis as well, I suppose. But I, I also have questions about Killian's ability, like how he's going to translate to the NBA. He's got this big frame, but the more that I've watched him, the more I've started to question his athleticism. And while the shooting form, this is something that's kind of common in in Europe, guys that have been playing pro ball for so long, the shooting form looks so good, but the numbers aren't necessarily there. Um, On the flip side, just what an incredible passer that this guy is, and what an incredible off-ball defender. He could be so, so good. Um, I, for whatever reason, maybe it's just my weird obsession with the types of players that New York would pick, but I just feel like he's maybe not flashy enough to, to be a New York pick, but uh, I, I don't know why. It's just as odd to me. I definitely get the flashy part, um, and I honestly feel kind of bad selecting him to New York because um, there's not going to be a place that will more hyper-focus on him uh, when he struggles next year. Um, I think he's more of a pick that you make expecting his ceiling to show in a couple of years um, as he really adjusts to being in a league where he is a below-average athlete. Um, but he's such a uh, – I don't know if fluid's the right word, but he's hes really crafty with the ball in his hands, and um, he's got such a great uh, change of pace step that I really think that in a couple of years he's just going to be one of those guys that gets by on craft by passing instincts um, and if there's an argument for his shooting ability it's in his free throw percentage of 87.6% I think uh, there are a lot of indicators that he can be a solid shooter especially off the dribble um, so I, I think he's too good to pass up at this point but I also think that I agree with you that he's not really a New York type of pick and uh, in a year, we might be all talking about how he was a bust if he went to the next, but I think in a couple of years he might be uh, a really good selection, especially in this range. I have a lot of options here. Um, it's going to be my pick, number seven for Chicago. Um, Nate, what are your thoughts on Hayes as I make my final selection here? Yeah, no problem. I, You know, when I was – Again, doing just kind of some data comparison among kind of archetypes. You know, put every player in an archetype. And when I got to Hayes, I, I, I really kind of moved him from ball handler to kind of like 
primary scorer who, who, who's next to a, a more traditional distributor. Um, and I think either way he kind of looks good. Um, I know that the, the general consensus is that he's your primary, you know, your big as a big guard. Um, I'm a little concerned about maybe his athleticism not really being there and that he would benefit by another athletic um, distributor next to him. I do think, I know you were trying to come up with the right words that he described. And, you know, when I was kind of looking at his type, he reminded me of Brandon Roy. And, again, Brandon Roy was not for not being that athletic, but he was crafty. Um, I know another name that was thrown out was uh, SGA. Um, and I think SGA, I kind of feel like you, you almost think about him as slippery. You know, um, he's often been called a point guard, but this season he's playing with two other point guards. So I think he, he is a guy that can create. Um, Goran Dragic, Dragic got, has been thrown out a lot. I think he's taller than that, and I think he provides a little bit more value there. Um, but, you know, it's still good. He's, he's a productive you know, player overseas, the French league is, is, is probably at worst, I don't know, considered maybe the fourth best league, something like something in that range. Um, the, the fit with the Knicks is rough. Aside from Chris Apps, they don't have a real, the, the organization just doesn't have a real big history drafting international players, so I always sort of, in my head, kind of shy away from internationals for them, uh, you know, by, by kind of like vibe. You know, Maxi kind of might, might seem like a Knicks player. Um, obviously, Cole Anthony seems like a Knicks player. Uh, I think at the end of the day, they're going to somehow find their way in getting LaMelo Ball. Uh, and I could be wrong, but that's just how I feel today. I agree with that one. I, yes. I think that there's no better uh, end to this draft than LaMelo Ball going to New York, which is why I really considered skipping uh, Detroit's pick and just letting him fall to New York. That would be a fun outcome. I mean, it is interesting to see if the, if the Pistons are ultimately do select above them, if they're able to extract some value out of the Knicks. Maybe that uh, the, their their second first rounder. Maybe that's not enough, but you know, the Pistons need help everywhere. Yeah, absolutely. I I just I honestly believe that just is written in stone somewhere that LaMelo will be a Nick. It just seems too perfect. But in this case, it's Killian Hayes. Um, I think it's a very reasonable pick. I can't delay any longer. I'm, uh, you know, the reason that I, I think I've had additional considerations for Chicago here is because, you know, there's a lot of questions about what pieces on this roster are going to stay. Um, I saw some reporting. don't know how real it is that Zach Levine isn't thrilled about losing so many games. And then there was questions earlier in the season about how happy Laurie Markkinen was there and, you know, how much this change in the front office is going to quell those concerns. If he really is, you know, recommitted and good to go, apparently teams, you know, again, allegedly have been inquiring about Laurie and even Wendell Carter Jr. That's kind of like the whole core of this team that, could maybe be a little more up in the air. I had originally thought, you know, you got Otto Porter there for one more year, just grab a point guard and and someone that could play alongside Zach Levine, maybe with some low usage. I actually was really drawn to Killian Hayes for that reason. But now it's it's kind of up in the air. It could be it, this team could look like anything really. So I'm going to go with a pick that is pretty safe and feels like could fit 
into any configuration of whatever members of this roster stay and go over the next few years, and it's Devin Vassell. I think that he, you know, can play the two or the three. You can work, uh, you, you know, you could move Levine down to the one, I guess. I mean, he's got the ball in his hands so much anyway. Have Vassell play the two, have Porter play the three. Or it's also a team that has so, so many young guys, I could see them just getting a veteran point guard to kind of run the show and let Levine play the two, Vassell play the three, you got Laurie and Carter at the four and the five. But ultimately, the reason I'm making this pick is I'm just very, very, very foolishly high on Devin Vassell. So that's that's the pick. That's three Georgia natives in the uh, first uh, seven. Yeah, I'm not surprised to take Vassell. Um, he's a, he, he's one of those players who can really fit anywhere. And that's a good thing for Chicago. Um, you know, they, they have a lot of pieces that could be moving, and um, Devin Vassell would fit with whoever's still there. Yeah, like Rich was kind of saying, it's a guy that fits in no matter what direction they decide to go and fits in a lot of teams that way. He's probably one of the more surefire 3 and D guys, if not the most in this draft class, and that's obviously a very valuable archetype archetype of a player. Um, I like to pick here. I, I thought you might have gone in a different direction, but I was expecting Vassell to uh, – to definitely be gone before we started hitting, you know, the teens or anywhere around there. And, and sure enough, I like to pick it for him here at Chicago 7. So I'll make up for my, my pandering before, and I'll just get right into it with pick number eight for the Charlotte Hornets. I wanted a center. Uh, I think James Wiseman going one and Onyeka Congo going three. Threw that out the window. I'm not going to reach for a third center. I think it's a pretty big gap. So, I'm going to go with a guy that is that has a really high ceiling and star potential. Um, yeah, it's Cole Anthony, number eight. Come on down. Move your stuff over a couple of hours on that bus and uh, going from UNC to the Charlotte Hornets. It's uh, it's an interesting pick, and I, I think that uh, you just you get these guys a point guard, Terry Rozier, you know, whatever. He's doing a job, but eventually he'll he'll move over. Well, Devontae Graham is pissed. <laughs> yeah, Devontae Graham is thinking he's going to become a shooting guard now. Yeah, I mean, I see what you're doing, though. Like, I think that the philosophy for Charlotte, to me, is just kind of take a high upside guy since they have a lot of quality role players and guys that project to be that but don't have a guy that could be a star. And uh, Cole Anthony is one of the few guys that, you know, you maybe could see reaching that outcome. Is that kind of your thought process with that, Rich? Yeah, they, yeah exactly. They've got a lot of – good pieces. I don't know that they have a star. Like, as much as I like Miles Bridges, as, as good of a rookie year as P.J. Washington had, like, they seem like good but not necessarily great players. And as much as I like Devontae Graham, he also just, like, is a sub-40% guy from the field. He's just this kind of a bomber, and he's an old, old dude for a, what, second-year guy. I think he's, like, 24, 25. Like, he really came into that draft in the second round, I think 23 pretty close to 24. Um, looks like you've got some comments for, for me here, though, Brian. I think Michael Jordan's happy with this pick. I don't know that uh, his uh, general manager is going to be thinking that point guard is their biggest need, but uh, I definitely think that um, Cole Anthony is the BPA on my board at this point. So I'm, I'm not going to criticize this pick. It's a good one. And do you need a little bit of time before we move on to you at Washington for number nine here? 
No, I don't. This one's pretty uh, easy for me. Um, the only other guy up here this high on my board uh, isn't a perfect fit because Washington always needs more spacers, and they also need a rim protector. But just like Rich said, I'm not reaching for a center at this point. Uh, I'm going to take Denny Abdia. Um, I'm still relatively high on him, higher than a lot of uh, draft experts and uh, prognosticators at this point. Um, but if you're a believer in the new idea that we saw in the Israeli League playoffs, then this is a steal for Washington. Um, they could definitely use another playmaking wing if they want to build their forward core around uh, Rui Hachimura and the defensive combo of Troy Brown and uh, Isaac Bonga. Um, Abdiya would be an excellent it would be excellent for the team because they're fourth in the league in transition played last year and I think that's where he's gonna be the most effective in the NBA is definitely running as a uh, secondary playmaker on the wing, uh, getting up and down the court. Uh, he'll be best on the team that runs. Um we all know that his swing skill is a shot. Um and if he doesn't hit, you know, an immediate outcome for his shot, the spacing might be pretty cramped. Uh, but he's best player available on my board. Clear pick here since both the top rim detectors are gone. I think he's, yeah, I think he's, he's an interesting player that uh, just is, it just depends on how the lottery goes. You, you could see him just going to any different team, if only because a lot of these teams this high don't necessarily have a track record of going after internationals that they kind of either buy into a college, you know, uh, background or you know that they you know, highly rate athleticism. And I think that's kind of outside of his shot, probably the concern. You know, I've seen names like Dario and Ingles and, you know, Gordon Hayward is probably, like, that might be the best way to kind of interpret his spectrum on what kind of outcome. He's he's definitely a guy that if you're not putting the ball in his hands some of the times, whether that's, you know, leading in transition after a rebound or, or, or leading your bench unit, um, you're probably not getting all the value of what he provides. If you're sticking him in the corner, um, that shot kind of might never come around because he, he just might not be confident with the lack of with a lack of touches. I think that's a fair point. Um, he definitely needs to become a better shooter, or he's not going to provide uh, number nine value even in this draft. Um, but I'm a believer that the uh, shooting work that he's put in in the last couple months is real. Um, I don't know that he becomes a high-level NBA shooter, but I also think that just his IQ on both sides of the court make him a higher floor player to me than uh, I think a lot of people. So um, at this point, it was either him or um, another combo guard who could help uh, spread the floor a little bit, and uh, I think Danny is the uh, right choice here. Yeah, definitely a fan of your selection, and uh, I probably would have taken him at 10 for Phoenix if he was on the board. And, you know, I really try to talk myself in Halliburton here. I think the two clear needs for Phoenix are a point guard and the four, uh, somewhere alongside Aiton. And I try to talk myself in Halliburton. I kind of like the pairing of him and Booker. You get a little bit more point book, um, and Halliburton is like a secondary playmaker when the ball gets to him there. Obviously some off-ball shooting and just smarts. Uh, that you're getting from him. I liked the fit, but thinking of who they took last draft when they reached a little bit for Cam Johnson, it looks like they're kind of just going for some production now, understandably, and I think that Toppin is an interesting fit alongside Aiton, um, who's been an improved rim protector this year and hopefully can buy, back up Toppin a little bit there. 
And then, you know, if Aiton can develop that three-point shot as well, you're stuck with a front court of two guys that are just extremely versatile offensively. Um, and I think that this really boosts the, the floor that Phoenix is working with right away. Uh, it'll be an intriguing fit that they'll have uh, some work to do, I think, kind of getting through the kinks of it. But I'm going uh, top in with Phoenix at number 10 here. I love this pick for Phoenix. I just, first of all, of you do. <laughs> first of all, 10 is very good value for, you know, the guy that you could reasonably say was the best player in college basketball this year. Yes, he is a bit older. Yes, he cannot play defense. But uh, <laughs> he is an incredibly explosive athlete. And, I, you know, again, I just am falling in love with the narratives of, like, LaMelo to – New York and, you know, Cole Anthony staying in, in Charlotte, or, you know, staying in North Carolina. Toppin just feels like a son's guy to me. Like he feels like, you know, he's not as big as as strong as Amari Stoudemire, but I just want them to have like a super explosive power forward. Yeah, I really like this pick. Um, I probably would have taken Tyrese Halliburton only because I think he's best utilized on the team like uh, Phoenix that already has a dominant ball handler. Um, but I think Obi Toppin would be a great fit next to Aiton. He could help spread the floor, uh, keep things um, from getting too cramped around the paint. And uh, I think that Toppin's weaknesses on defense could be seriously mitigated by having a uh, rim protector and uh, apparently a, a high-outcome defender like DeAndre Ayton, which is not something I expected to say um, two years ago. Yeah, I'd say I think that, uh, you know, we look at the Suns and you're like, they, they need a point guard of the future. But at least Rubio is confident. I mean, I mean that, that, that Suns front court is, is going to be in a rough spot in, in a way. Just I think Oubre is injured. Sarge is a free agent. Comiskey, they're going to they're gonna decline that uh, contract. Same with Diallo. And then Baines is a unrestricted free agent. And actually, when I do, when I've done my just like mocks for fun, I always see Toppin as this really interesting fit for for that Suns team. He did have, I think, one of the best, the highest number of at rim makes. It was 167, um, which is just wild. I I think he's going to be a pretty good option for that team. Uh, You know, I think you know if the draft followed this path. Those are the two guys I think they're they're kind of comparing against each other, Toppin and Halliburton. Yeah, and it looks like you are up next with the Spurs. Um, are you prepared to make that pick? Yeah, I think uh, this might surprise. Uh, for, with the 11th pick, the San Antonio Spurs will select Patrick Williams. Uh, he's another freshman wing defender uh, out of Florida State. I know that there's kind of conflicting opinions on whether he's a 3-4 or a 4-3. He's definitely raw, you know, shot blocking, especially kind of the kind of the weak side shot blocking, you know, seems to be his best regarded skill. You know, I I just look at the Spurs roster as it is um, and then kind of their track record historically. You know, if this was in the 2010s, you know, I think I'd be thinking, what international player rises? But their recent um, kind of draft history, history has definitely been to prioritize athleticism. You got Murray and White and Walker and Johnson. Um, and then after that, 
you know, just for front court needs help, I think, um, whether it's a, a small forward or a power forward, I think they really need someone that they're grooming for the future, also the center position. But if Wiseman and Arcongo are off the board, like you said with the pre- another previous pick, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna reach for another center lower. You know, maybe can you know some some perspectives you could say maybe Precious or Stewart um, or, or guys to look at for here. But I think just with kind of what type of player they've um, identified recently, Williams seems like the guy uh, that I think the Spurs would go with. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I think on the recent lottery mock we did here, just Rich and I, I, I made the same selection for San Antonio, uh, a spot that obviously you kind of trust the development team working there and one of the higher upside wings uh, that's available in the pool here. And, you know, I'm itching at this Sacramento pick because it feels like there's always 12 guys gone or 11 guys gone by this point and uh, Halliburton is on the board, and usually that's not the case. Is that who you're kind of eyeing here, Rich? Maybe we should spend a little more time talking about 11, but Sacramento's next. I'm a little antsy. Right. Well, Nate's got this pick as well. We wanted to bring in Nate to make this pick for Sacramento uh, because Bryant uh, writes for the Kings, and you and I talk about the Kings and write for the Kings constantly, Brendan. I'm definitely – I mean, like, am I balling the same guy? We'll let – Nate make his pick, of course, but uh, I will say, like, I did a live mock draft where each person controlled an individual team um, just a month ago across draft Twitter, and he was the same guy that popped out of that that top 12. It, w- it was Halliburton that popped out of it, so I don't know if that's a trend or, like, if there's anything to put into that necessarily, but I guess before we swing it back to Nate for the official pick, um, thoughts here, Bryant? Yeah, Halliburton would be my pitcher, too. That's what I'm hoping he's going to take, but we're definitely in kind of a, a group think mindset about uh, Halliburton's fit for Sacramento, so I'll be interested to see if uh, Nate disagrees with us. All right, so I'll give you the four, the three options I don't think is going to happen, and they all kind of fit like a type. So this crazy, fearful Twitter looks at this draft going going down, and it's the, they're afraid it's going to be Pokusevsky. Uh, I, <laughs> I reason to believe that's true, but if the Kings were looking for the biggest swing, that's the guy. Uh, my heart, the player that I just think is very interesting, that reminds me of the, the flashy Kings of yore, is Leandro Balmaro. Uh, I felt like the first wave of Balmaro coverage focused on his creation ability, but currently the kind of analysis is looking at him as ability to uh, on-the-ball defense which is clearly something the team needs. But there's no obvious reason why I think they'd pick him. I, I think that, you know, it kind of feels like he wouldn't be the guy. And then my intel side makes me feel like Tyrese Maxey would be the guy. He's from Texas, like Fox, you know, followed him to Kentucky. Another strong point-of-attack defender. He's got big-game production. He is one of the few players that actually rose statistically up when he was up against stronger competition. But if the draft falls this way, I, I do think with the 12th pick, the Sacramento Kings would select Tyrese Alberton. Um, he's a big guard. Um, he would allow – really keep, keep freeing up um, Fox to score. But there's this really oddball thing that I, I don't know a lot about, but it kind of intrigues me. So he's got great passing statistics, but he doesn't get to the free throw line. Um, so he's not really setting up the pass 
it's presumably by driving. It's it's kind of really an aptitude to run an offense. But something that I've been kind of playing with in my head is a is the player like that. Is there is there skill really at setting up post players? Is is that is that where that kind of like production could be seen? And if that's true, and if that's valued, um, having another guard, and I know this just kind of really scares all of us, just setting up Bagley for success. And clearly, you know, this team is all in on, on Fox and Bagley, and they need to find players that really augment that. Ultimately, and I do think another option is uh, that maybe they sell the farm and they you know, trade all these picks and with Buddy to, you know, in Orlando for, you know, uh, to, I can't remember his name right now. Why am I, uh, Aaron Gordon, maybe? Gordon. That's that's what I was thinking of, um, you know, another California native there. Um, but, I, you know, I think Halliburton really gives them flexibility. He's a, he's a big guard, um, can kind of run the bench units as well. Um, but it, it would be hard. It's really hard to figure out where they would go. But I think if this was the outcome, Kings fans would be happy. I know I would be thrilled. Uh, I I think that was a perfect breakdown, succinctly of 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 the different directions this could go. I really, honestly, don't have anything to add. Uh, what about you, Ryan? I adore this pick. Um, I've always thought that this would be a great outcome for Sacramento. Um, Tyrese would be. I thought that he should be more of a uh, off-ball, secondary, connector-type player who gets to play next to a lead-dominant uh, ball handler, and he fits De'Aaron Fox's game to a T. Um, and I think Sacramento could definitely use more guys who uh, offer secondary playmaking. Um, we'd let them stop pretending that Buddy Heald is a playmaker in any form um, and uh, I don't know what selecting Tyrese would mean for the Kings current two shooting guards between Heald and Bogdanovich um, I don't know if that would make it easier for the Kings to justify trading one of those two guys or in Bogey's case just letting him walk this season but Tyrese is the best player left on the board for me um, I adore his fit next to De'Aaron Fox uh, I think he's a high IQ defender, if not the right uh, athlete or size yet to be an NBA defender. Um, it'll be interesting to see in a couple of years if he adds the necessary strength and bulk to be able to really handle uh, secondary guards uh, on defense. But this is the pick I'd make. Yeah, I have uh, nothing against that. I definitely would go Halliburton here as well. It's the last guy left in, in this tier before there's a tier drop-off here for me. And while I do think that, yeah, it would make you forced to do something with Buddy or Bogey, I think that's a likely path already anyways. And like Brian said, like you guys have all said, I like to fit alongside Fox and with what Sacramento's working with. Uh, I think Halliburton's definitely the pick here. And does anyone else have anything they want to get in on Sacramento's? pick or choices here before I do New Orleans here at 13. Support for the King's Pulse podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who's the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. They obsess over the technology developments to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. 
Listen, we all have a time where we have hurt ourselves or at least been terrified to hurt ourselves. I know I do. Trimming below the waist. That's why Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. The Manscaped engineering team has spent 18 months perfecting the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created and just released the new and improved Lawnmower 3.0. This is a premium tool with a battery that lasts up to 90 minutes, works in the shower so you can take care of your business in there if you prefer that. Also has an extremely cool LED light attached to it that illuminates the grooming areas for a closer and more precise trimming. If you're listening to me speak right now, I want you to experience it firsthand for yourself. Trim that chunk of yours. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code KINGSPULSE at manscaped.com. Your balls will thank you. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code KINGSPULSE. No space. KINGSPULSE at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. And use the code KINGSPULSE with no space. All right, so I've had Poku here, I think, on two different mocks that we did, Rich. Um, I, I like New Orleans being able to take a swing on an upside guy when they already have a ridiculous core that they're moving forward with, but I'm not going to do that this time around. I think that they really need some wing defense and some shooting, um, like especially, you know, they're going to be going against the, the bullies of the Western Conference that just have elite small forwards. and a guy that you know can fill that three and D role at a good size of six eight is uh, Sadiq Bay of Villanova. I think that you know obviously he's going to supply them with the standstill shooting that they definitely need to spread the floor a bit there. Maybe some tertiary playmaking, uh, slightly a little bit of off the dribble game, but mainly for some wing defense with switchability thrown in there as well, and just able to knock down a shot and a guy that you know is going to come in and be a contributor. Uh, one of the higher floor guys in this draft. So I'm going Sadiq Bay at 13 for New Orleans. I'm sure Rich is pissed right now. I'm very upset. I just, I thought for every reason you described, you'd be so perfect for Portland who just cannot find a forward to save their lives. Um, Anyone else want to talk about this New Orleans pick? Uh, uh, Brian, I think you got something to say. Yeah, I think... um, Sadiq is just going to be a safe pick wherever he ends up going. Uh, for me, I think I would have taken Tyrese Maxey as kind of a Drew Holiday understudy slash clone. Um, a lot of the same complaints that people had about Tyrese Maxey, uh, they had about Drew Holiday coming out of UCLA. His shot wasn't great. Uh, he was just a defensive first guard. And people didn't know if he could play primary point. Um, I think Tyrese Maxey would be a fantastic long-term fit if his shot improves. Uh, but City Bay is going to be a safe pick for me anywhere in the team. So um, I think this is a fine selection for New Orleans. Yeah, I will get right to it with Portland. Uh, I think they desperately, desperately needed Bay uh, or a forward. I wrote down a list of forwards that would fit for them, and it really looked like they were going to get one, but then this – a uh, flurry of Patrick Williams going early. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I mean, basically every single forward that I would consider at this spot is off the board. The only other guy, and and I'm you know I'm considered going best player available here. I, I guess I am kind of doing that. 
Um, Maxi is attractive to me, but you've just got I mean, how many how many tens of millions of dollars? I'm sure it's probably hundreds of millions of dollars you got invested in Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum. And, you know, you also got guys like Gary Trent doing things. The opinions on Anthony Simons uh, vary, but, you know, I, I mean, there's some promise there. And you can kind of – I believe that that team could get, you know, backup point guard duty off the free agency file. They don't need to invest in a backup point guard. So, yeah, I desperately wanted someone that could play both three and the four. I'm going to go with a guy here that I actually think – can play some three. He's gonna be. He would be better suited for a two in most lineups and for most teams. But Aaron Neesmith, he, he's a legit six five with a six ten wingspan. Pretty big dude. Pretty strong. Good frame. Two fifteen, and he's a legitimate lights out shooter. Absolutely legitimate. As far as finding a, a three and D wing, you got at least half of it. You got at least half of it in the bank here. Um, Neesmith is arguably the best shooter in the draft. I actually have good things to say about his defense. It's the passing and you know the sort of facilitating that worries me. I think he might be genuinely uh, a bad passer, a poor um, awareness on offense in terms of creating for others. So I think he's going to have to finish plays. You know, you get in the ball, you can he can drain a three, but I do worry about how he could slow things down. If any team could go with a three-yard look for a while, I think it is Terry Stotts in Portland. So, yeah, it's going to be Aaron Neesmith here. Yeah, I like the pick. I think, like you said, uh, it's definitely a wing that Portland should be looking at there. And, you know, with a plus wingspan, maybe he does turn out being a, a decent or uh, defender there for Portland. Um, Nate, you have any thoughts on the Neesmith pick here before I get to Orlando at 15? Oh man, it's it's um it's funny as I as we all we all kind of probably agree that for some of the forwards, the Pelicans and the Trailblazers are the floor. I mean, so um, I mean Neesmith's interesting. I'm, I was really bummed that he he got injured, especially since after he got injured, Saban Lee blew up. For Vanderbilt, and you know what could that team have done with those two explosive scorers? But you know, Rich is right. He's uh, he is very much a finisher. I mean, his assist, both his assist to turnover ratio and his assist percentage to uses percentages are really big signs of pretty much finisher only. Um, he's a little bit, uh, you know, in terms of role, you know, like a Rodney Hood or maybe a Gary Trent Jr. So he at least fits in a type of player that. That they um, they value, um, you know, he's considered one of the best shooters in the draft, so that that can't hurt. I'm not really sure who else they would go. Uh, I mean, I think in terms of legit forwards uh, on my own kind of aggregate board, it's uh you know maybe ten players down. You know, when you get to Precious and Jalen Smith, and you know maybe they go that direction, or or maybe they go with you know. I don't think they would, but a Jaden McDaniels. Maybe they think they can really tap into his uh, potential. Yeah, I uh, ultimately agree that Neesmith is the pick for Portland there at 14. And then for me, Orlando at 15, I mean, the clear hole is point guard, and it's coming down to Tyra Lewis Jr. and Tyrese Maxey, and a team that I think already is doing pretty well for themselves defensively and really needs someone to uh, shoulder a large 
uh, load on the offensive end. I'm ultimately going Kyra Lewis here. Um, I, I like him a little bit better than Maxi, although it mainly does come down to the offense over uh, of Kira over Maxi for me. I really like uh, Kira's versatility, obviously his ridiculous speed, and I think it's forgotten that you know he's just not far too off from just turning 19, even though he is a sophomore at Alabama. He uh, flashed some nice passing this year, and the change of speed along with how quick he is just able to accelerate. Um, but, yeah, passing with left, right hand, there's some decent shooting uh, off the dribble a bit and then uh, off the catch as well. I think that uh, Orlando's going to get themselves a nice point guard here at 15, but I'm going with uh, Kyra Lewis between my options. Brian, I know you got a big crush on Kyra Lewis. So yeah. Tell us about it. I definitely think that's a, a great pick. Um, I know that uh, Orlando is still very much set on the Markel Fultz rehabilitation train, but uh, Kira Lewis is the clear BPA to me at this point. Um, I really like um, how he fits in uh, Orlando's crazy length system. Um, I think he actually has a lot of uh, off-ball versatility that um, might get underappreciated in this draft process. Um, and he had a really good uh, rate off the catch. So I think he can uh, play next to Fultz and provide some spacing. He's not going to cramp the system, and he can uh, be a secondary creator, which I think they need. And just in terms of uh, taking talent here, this would be a home run fit for them, I think. Well, if you don't mind, I think the Timberwolves are ready for uh, to make a selection with the 16th pick. And I think they'll take uh, Tyrese Maxey. Um, if they, end, if they leave this draft with Maxine or Kongwu, I think they'd be really happy. Uh, I think that would give them two really strong defenders to add around two not-so-well-regarded defenders. Um, and I think, I mean, I talked a little bit about it, just kind of his big game ability. I think one thing to keep in mind, too, is I mean, he's a player who's probably a two-guard, but he kind of had to play a lot of times out of position to accommodate Hagens and quickly in Kentucky. And then I think that there's probably also kind of a, just a recent general acknowledgement that Kentucky, Kentucky players can often have uh, deflated statistical production just because they're surrounded by so much talent. So I think that's the guy I would pick for the Timberwolves. I think it's a great pick. That's a that's an insane bounty for Minnesota to come out of this draft with. Uh, and, yeah, like, like you said, I like that you mentioned. I think it's uh, Shea Gilgis Alexander is a good example of that where the, the numbers weren't incredible then they get out of that super elite program and they're real real players uh, but I know Brendan that you're excited to make your pick for your Boston Celtics here so uh, without further ado why don't we let you get to that yeah, I think Maxi would have been an interesting one here in a very similar to Marcus Smart type role. Um, but Boston, with three picks in the first round, I think has the luxury of letting some guys take some time to develop, and I really think they'll look to stash one of these guys. And one of the highest upside guys in this draft, I mean, like complete unicorn, and maybe he doesn't reach that upside, but I think Boston's in a position they can really wait for him is Alexei Pogusevsky. And I think that... Um, this is a decent value for Boston at 17. It is a home run swing, but I think with the position that they're in, they're really able to do that. And if it works out, even to a moderate outcome, I mean, you have a good floor spacer with some dynamic uh, passing ability to him as well at 
a ridiculous length of seven feet. So I think they're in a position similarly to why I was taking Poku a lot for New Orleans, that they have a lot of young talent that they're waiting for anyways. You might as well kind of take a swing for the fences, and if it works out for you, then you're looking at a really serious, uh, deep, young roster. What, no one has anything to say about Poku? (laughs) No, this is the exact type of situation where I think uh, he needs to go. Um, He really needs to go somewhere that isn't going to um, have high immediate expectations out of him. And if Boston's really going to be taking him as a project player and bring him along slowly and let him get used to the the league as the five-minute per game kind of guy. Um, I think uh, he's the right fit here and uh, just replace Taco Falls on the bench pretty much. I do think Brendan's right, though, with those three picks. Just for kind of roster building, they have to stash uh, one, if not two, players. Yeah, I think that's a that's a great point, man. I yeah, that's that's gonna just. I, I have no idea where Poku's gonna go in in reality. Just no idea. I, I mean, really no idea. So, yeah. fantastic. I'm glad that uh, you made that bold decision. Um, number eighteen, the the pick is to me. It's the Dallas Mavericks, and I'm just gonna hop in, hop out. It's gonna be Josh Green. I think they just need wing defense. <laughs> I'm so mad. No, go ahead. No, no, I'll just I'll let you do the analysis on this one. Right. Uh, I wrote a whole 1,300 word article on Josh Green, thinking that no, there's no chance anybody's going to take it before me. But um, Lord, he'd be a great fit here, somewhere where he could his lack of offensive game could be insulated. Somebody really needs more defensive wings. Um, yeah, it'd be great in Dallas, and uh, I think he's going to, in a couple of years, I, I truly think we could look back and see him as steal in the draft because he's already an NBA-level wing defender, um, and if his shot even becomes median outcome, I mean, he'll be a starter for sure. Yeah, I think you have a really good point with, you know, this is a place that's not going to ask him to do much offensively, and they're already pretty set on that end. Um yeah, I, I'm a really big fan of the fit, Josh Green in Dallas as well. Obviously, it's a little bit of my type of player, too, where it's just these uh, hustle guys that have some big question marks on the offensive end. But I, I definitely like the fit here for Dallas. All right, I'm up again, 19, Milwaukee. This was a really hard one for me, even like making a list of the types of guys that the Bucks want slash need. I guess need is the bigger question here. Um, they've got Bledsoe locked in for quite some time. DiVincenzo's coming on. You know, Middleton has really become a force uh, at that kind of stretchy forward role that everybody needs. Obviously, you know, Giannis is the entire team who can play for a little four or five, and Brooke Lopez can, you know, is such a unique player at the five, also locked in on a longer contract now. I've thought about taking a look. Add a guy like Jalen Smith just because uh, if any team needs a, a long-term guy that can block shots and shoot it, like Milwaukee is that team, but I think it's a little too early to take Jalen Smith off the board. I'm going to go with a guard here. I, I think that you – basically you can have a guy that could, could pair next to Bledsoe 
or eventually take over if they try to move him. If he has, you know, he's he's just really hot and cold. So, yeah, I, I'm gonna take I'm gonna take an oddly high floor guy in the uh, one of the older players that is being considered in the first round. I we haven't talked about it on the podcast yet, but we did research on it. Never got around to talking about this guy, but I really I really like Grant Riller. And I just think that his maturity and his explosive first step combined with the shooting, combined with, I mean, he really can score from anywhere on the floor. I just believe that he would fit in with this team that, you know, it doesn't need to take a big swing on, um, you know, an 18-year-old kid. That's a really interesting pick. I mean, Rillar, he's a guy that he's got like a 61% true shooting percentage and 70% at rim finishing percentage. I mean, it's just, even if he drops off a little bit and can give something in the mid-60s as an NBA player at his size, it would that would be pretty incredible. Yeah, I definitely like the pick. I mean, I think that it makes a lot of sense for him to go to a team that's looking to contend now since he's going to come in and give you pretty good value out the gate probably while not having all too much of a... a high ceiling that you're working with and then I think the 20th pick here we have Brooklyn on the clock Bryant making that selection you ready to do that one Bryant yeah I am um since uh Rich stole my clear pick I thought there was no chance Josh Green would be gone before this uh I'm gonna steal Nate's dude here uh Leandro Barmow would be a great fit (laughs) for Brooklyn um he'd be a great tertiary playmaker with Durant and Kyrie uh, he'd be an excellent wing defender, kind of player that they could always use more of. Um, he'd be an excellent starter level player if his shot improves. Um, but he's that kind of high IQ, ready to go guy that I think uh, Brooklyn could really use right now. I'm sorry, I took your pick, man. Well, it's surprising because when I look at that roster, I just think that uh, I'm, you know, with Kyrie and, and Durant, that they would go for maybe like a four. You know, it's not like a precious or Jalen spot, a guy that just kind of like does one or two things for them. It's not really asked to do much more. But I guess, I guess precious makes sense in that sense. Um, but Jalen Smith, to me, is a, is locked in as a center. And Lord knows that they have enough uh, centers taking up minutes already. Um, and I think uh, team ready to go at this point, especially if they don't keep a – I've forgotten their wings name. Karis Levert. Thank you. Karis Levert passed this summer. I think uh, Neandro would be a, a solid fit in this range. Well, I think with the, uh, if you don't mind, I'll go with the first pick in the Denver Nuggets. And I'm not really sure what entirely they would do. But Bomaro was probably going to be my guy. Um, so this one really kind of feels like um, I'm going to maybe go with you know, they go international, they look young. Um, oh, now you're going to take my guy. No, actually, I, I I feel like I won't be taking anybody's guy because this guy's gotten some buzz, but I'm not sure where. I'm going to say that the Nuggets will select Zeke Naji. Um, they've got uh, Paul Millsap coming up on free agency. Jeremy Grant's coming up as well with a player option, Plumlee's. Um, and unrestricted as is uh, Noah Vonley. So they, they, I think they need a guy that um, they can help stretch. I mean, I do think that there's arguments that, that Jalen Smith kind of fits those some of these skills, but Najee's a little bit younger. He's still an efficient 
you know, scoring big man. Um, in some ways, I think he might have been the most surprising freshman of the trio at Arizona. Um, but I, I for sure could see Hampton or Terry maybe being the players in this spot. But there's a part of me that's been thinking that, that, that there's something about Najee in, uh, in Denver. Any thoughts on Najee Bryant uh, as you're about to submit your pick for the Philadelphia 76ers? I think that's a fine pick. Um, he, he Anywhere in the 20s makes a lot of sense for Najee. Um, I think he's got a, a, a solid enough floor across the board. Uh, he showed enough of a shot to convince me that it was at least semi-real. Um, he's an all right defender, really good rebounder, and he's a fun player to watch. I really enjoyed watching Arizona this year because they just had a lot of picks. I mean, a lot of uh, talented, fun players. So I think that's an okay selection if a tiny bit earlier than I'd taken. So Philadelphia is a little more complicated because uh, everybody that I had mocked for Philly at this spot's already gone. So I'll just take the easy caveat with Philly and say, you know, with their roster construction around Ben Simmons and uh, Joel Embiid, they always, always need more shooters. So I will give them the best shooter in the class and take Desmond Bain at uh, number 23. Um, I'm not sure that he has an incredibly high defensive floor, and I'm not sure what he can provide at an incredibly high level besides just being a knockdown 30-foot shooter. Uh, He'll be dangerous anywhere on the floor, but Philadelphia's already got a lot of uh, defenders and wing defenders to insulate him regardless of how high his defensive ceiling is. So I think uh, this makes a lot of sense. Yes, I'll take some pressure off you because you're coming up on 23 as well. I think that was 22 for Philly. 23 will be the Miami Heat. Um, I, you know, Bain, I think, is, like, really kind of catching on and, and gathering a lot of steam and charging up the board. He's, I'll be frank, you know, I, I haven't, I don't know all that much about Bain. And while he's got this reputation as one of the best shooters in the league, I, or, you know, in, uh, in coming out of the NCAA, he is just a, a guy that I feel like is just, has escaped the zeitgeist of first round picks up until really this last week or two where, like, I can't stop hearing about Desmond Bain. Yeah, I think that's yeah. kind of cool. I mean, but I'll, I'll say he's he's young for a senior. Um, obviously, he's one of the best shooters. But in addition to that, in the senior year, he really did a good drop, job at becoming a creator, uh, averaging almost four assists per game. But if he's but when you look at the kind of the advanced stats, his both his assist to turnover ratio and that assist percentage to usage, they're really strong. Now, I will say that, yeah, not a great defender. Uh, wingspan's not great. It's a little stiff, but kind of a football player body. And he could, he could definitely, you know, grow as a – he doesn't really draw fouls. And I think you sort of see that kind of both things working together where he's maybe he's not fleet of foot, not as much as he wants. And so he drive the lane. He really works the perimeter. And that offense, that could be really good. And if they're playing both him and – you know, you know him on the perimeter. Philadelphia really likes a lot of uh, big players, and sent sent a lot of other defensive deficiencies. All right, I guess I'm up at uh, 23 with Miami. 
Um, and I'm going to be the one that does it. I'm going to take Jaden McDaniels. Um, I love the idea of Jaden McDaniels going to a smart organization that can make him just be one of the guys. Um, I think uh, if he ends up going to uh, in the lottery or to uh, you know a, a rebuilding team, I think uh, he's gonna he could really definitely end up being a disappointment. But in this range, I love the idea of him going to Miami. Uh, he could just work on his offensive game. Uh, Miami could utilize him as a catch and shoot guy, uh, and they have a system to insulate project players. Uh, in this kind of scenario, I think the ceiling for McDaniels is definitely a lottery level return. But I don't trust that any of the teams in the lottery, I guess besides the Warriors, um, would really be able to optimize him in a smaller offensive role while lowering immediate expectations. So I really kind of hope this is where Jaden McDaniels ends up going. Yeah, I mean, like you said, it's definitely a guy that needs to go to a smart development team. I think of Miami and Toronto, obviously. Um, yeah, I mean, you're getting a, a decent upside, especially when you're talking in the 20s here. I think it's fairly low risk. Um, I uh, Yeah, I, I think that that makes a lot of sense for Miami here. you have any notes on uh, Jaden, Rich? I mean, it's a bold pick in terms of, you know, we did a podcast together, Bryant and Brendan and I, uh, really at least half, like half an hour, we pretty close to half an hour we spent on James <laughs> Daniels, and none of us were happy about it. Bryant wrote a bunch of words, probably over a thousand words on on how not ready Jaden McDaniels is for the NBA, but yeah, we also talked about that he, if he goes to the right team, I think we talked about Spurs and Toronto and definitely Miami as a team that could take a kind of a, a hunk of clay and carve it into something very, very valuable. So I think it's a smart pick. And, uh, well, at least it is as smart as a pick as you're going to get of J.D. McDaniels in the first round. So I commend you there. And I'm ready for my pick at number 24 for the Utah Jazz. It's a guy that uh, I, I just think the Jazz probably, if anything, need a point guard of the future, considering that Mike Conley – you know, isn't working out great and is definitely in the back nine of his career. Um, he's going to be around there for a minute, though, so you don't need the guy going to come in right away and be great. So I'm going to get a, I'm going to pick a very young international point guard, uh, kind of a combo guard in Taylor Maladon. I have researched him as well. Uh, we have not gotten to that episode yet on King's Pulse, but I really liked how well-rounded his offensive game is it, the defense is going to be an issue for sure. The athleticism is going to be an issue, but he's very young and can grow into his body. Just a very well-rounded offensive player that I think could play on ball or off ball, which is a nice fit next to Donovan Mitchell. Yeah, you said uh, a overseas guy, and I was definitely expecting you to pull out R.J. Hampton. Um, but I, I like Melendon. I think that his offensive upside is just – uh, he's a very creative guy, and yeah, every reason that you laid out, I like him there for Utah alongside Mitchell, and uh, if I'm not moving too quick here, Hampton is the guy I'm going to take at 25 here for OKC. I think he screams thunder, where he's just one of these ridiculously athletic guys that they seem to fall in love with, um, with a decent upside to him as well, and you know, I think that you're getting pretty good value here at 25, somewhat similarly to McDaniels. It's a guy that uh, going into the year, you saw 
ranked a lot higher and he had a, a very poor showing in the NBL. But yeah, I mean, I think that the upside, if you can uh, actually grab a hold of some of that, is very real for Hampton. And OKC's in the ending stages of a team that's not going to be there for much longer, and then they're going to be in a, a pretty fresh rebuild working with some nice pieces like SGA. Um, but I think that they're in a position where they kind of go for some upside here, and I think Hampton's the guy for them at 25. That's great value that you're getting for Boston. Now with Poku and RJ, like they're just big swings. They're just huge home run swings. And well, that one was for OKC, actually. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, no, excuse me. Okay, forget forget everything I just said. I know you're you gonna got Boston next. You got Boston next. I'm sorry. So, all right, for for OKC, uh, let me just shift gears real quick. I'll just say like off off the rip, that's fine for them too. Just considering like they have infinity picks forever. Yeah, the Thunder, yeah. The Thunder definitely seemed like a possible bid. Boston, RJ, you know. You know, uh, he's he's young for a guy that is, would basically have been a you know a freshman. Uh, attacking off the catch is probably his best skill at the moment. There was some buzz that maybe he's a big primary guard, um, albeit a little mechanical. And now I think that's kind of more he's more considered a kind of a, a slasher, even though he's still young and he he, he could still develop into either option. Uh, I think going going to, going to OKC is probably a good fit for him. Yeah, and I'm, uh, I'm ready here. Or do you want to get something in on that, Bryant? I was just going to say that I definitely think that uh, R.J. Hampton's really a kind of a thunder guy. They definitely have a type when it comes to wins. Yeah, definitely scream thunder. Um, I was a little upset when I thought Rich took him to Utah because uh, it seemed like a clear pick for OKC. And then, yeah, for Boston here, a guy that I'm surprised fell this far is Tyrell Terry. I think that you know, obviously the shooting you're getting from Terry is extremely real. There's some uh, passing that you're getting from him as well, a guy that uh, Boston can, you know, take their time, and maybe he ends up being the point guard of the future uh, once Kemba uh, is no longer there after, you know, when Kemba's contract expires, this rookie will be going into their final year of their um, of their rookie deal, and maybe ready to take over, and I think Terry could be that guy. Boston's used to having to hide some of these small guards and, yeah, in a position where they can take a little bit of a swing. And, I mean, I think Terry is really good value here at 26. I'm pretty surprised surprised he fell this far down. Well, I'll just echo my comment, which is that I, I think that with Boston you're able just to take these home run swings, and Terry is one of those guys as well. Like, there are much safer options at point guard uh, you know, there's one that's screaming out at me, you know, just a super, super safe, high floor, but lower ceiling point guard. Boston can take all the swings in the world they want. If they if these guys don't turn it into anything, it's no big deal. I think that that kind of goes for OKC as well. I think you've got a lot of good teams that you're picking for that just can really take swings, like considering that OKC is, you know, what, however many future first-round picks from the Clippers and, and all those trades as well. So, I think you've got some really fun teams to, to pick for. Yeah, and uh, Bryant, you feel like New York's a fun one to pick for too? <laughs> <laughs> no, because, um, I mean, clearly the uh, the consensus pick at this point would be that Precious Achua has no business being drafted this late in a mock. 
But it's really hard for me to let the pressures of Chua and select him on a team that has Mitchell Robinson. Meanwhile, just taking a cursory look at New York's uh, bajillion big men, I will note that besides uh, Julius Randle's mid-range shot, there really isn't any big man on their roster who can actually shoot. So I'm going to stop my draft crushes slide and select Jalen Smith here. Um, this is kind of an okay situation because I don't think he needs to immediately be a starter. Um, and uh, with Thibs in the uh, coaching seat now for New York, I definitely think that he'll be looking to add more and more guys who are high IQ defenders. Um, I definitely worry that Jalen Smith and Mitchell Robinson should, should never see the court at the same time because they're both definitely centers, and uh, Jalen Smith does not have the defensive versatility that Mitchell Robinson does. But at this point, um, I think Jalen Smith is the highest guy on my board. Um, but I also expect that uh, New York would probably go in a different direction if this was a real pick. I know Kevin Fippen is happy over at kingsherald.com. The Jalen Smith love, like, I'm fully, fully sharing in it. I have him, like, really stupidly high on my big board. I just love – it's the same reason that I fell in love with Dwayne Dedman for the Kings. Like, you see the – you see oh, the block. Don't say that. <laughs> don't say that. You see their in protection, you see the three-point shooting, and you're like, oh, man, we got the next Brooke Lopez here. But, yeah, obviously it could go very, very wrong, so a bit of a cautionary tale, I guess. Yeah, and looking at Toronto and and the Lakers as the next two picks, I have uh, two guys in my mind I think fit both of these teams really well. Are you ready to uh, pick for Toronto at twenty eight, Nate? Yeah, yeah, I think this. I think the Toronto has some some really good selections that kind of fit their template. Uh, but I just I constantly just think that they're smarter than us, and so. <laughs> so whoever they're going to pick is going to look like they're lower ranked than consensus. And with the 28th pick, I think the Toronto Raptors will select Paul Reed, a uh, young junior out of DePaul. Uh, he's this season's um, stocks monster. Um, he, does, uh, he doesn't generate fouls on the offensive end, so he's definitely he's got room to grow on that side of the ball. He's kind of got a weird shot. Um he just seems like the kind of player that they can they they can see the um, the flashes, the moments in their system. The Reno, not the Reno nine one five, but the nine one five, their development system. It's kind of I think that they could really bring it out in them. They they but you know a Tillman, uh, a Trey Jones, a Malachi Flynn, those all kind of seem like good uh, Raptors like players. But I think they might go for kind of a quir- the quirky tool set that Paul Reed brings. I'll say uh, you're not a – I'm admittedly a big Precious guy, but I think uh, I, I've been very pushy about he needs the right fit, and I like Toronto's development. What do you uh, What do you like about Reed versus Precious? Since I think they're actually pretty similar, and the age is a big thing that's credited there, but they're actually not all too far apart in age. Yeah, it's, it's funny you mentioned that because I'm looking at those exact same things. I don't know. I mean, we don't have a combine, but they're both like 6'9", six, 2'10". Six, um, I don't think the eyes kind of see that, but Paul Reed is barely – it's only a few months uh, older than Precious. Um, so I think 
you know, I, I think though he's a junior, that's that's not much of a negative. Um, he's a little bit better on the offensive end, um, at least statistically. He's got better shooting percentages, a little bit better offensive rating. Um, DePaul didn't do as well as, as in the end as uh, you know the early results showed, but um, I just think that um, I just think that at least. If they're that, if their age is the same, and you have all this production on Reed, and you have one season on Precious, you can at least see with Reed um, an obvious development of his skills. Where Precious takes a little bit more of your own internal, um, your, you know, what your your scouts feel, what they saw at the lower levels. That you know, Reed just has a has a better resume when at least the the age and the measurables are very similar. Yeah, a lot of people I know have a crush on Paul Reed. I He's another guy that I haven't delved into really because he, I think he is just kind of been pigeonholed into a second round guy. And, and so like I haven't put a priority on looking at him compared to a guy with a little more uh, first round equity among experts like a, a precious Chua. But I'm up next here at 29 and I'm going to do you a favor, Brendan, and not pick your boy Precious, so you can just go ahead and queue that up at 30 uh, for Boston. But um, the Lakers, I think they, I think they really need a point guard, and I think they they really need a super safe point guard. Yeah, they can go sign whatever veteran can like walk in off the street and be 33 years old and play in that system. But I think it would be really nice to get a fresh face in there. Um, you know, one guy I considered is Nico Mannion, who has definitely a higher upside, and a lot of people are mocking him to L.A. in this pick, and I definitely see it as well. But I really, really, really like Trey Jones, and so much so that I, you know, just have him right on the back, right outside of the lottery. He just feels like such a safe game-managing type of point guard that's not going to ever need any shots, like, He's, the, the Lakers don't see anything other than LeBron and AD. They don't see a future beyond LeBron's retirement age. They don't care about, will this guy be a star in five years? That's not what they're doing with the 29th pick in the 2020 draft. I think they could use a, just an extra ball handler, and I think Trey Jones is about as safe as they come. Yeah, this is definitely the guy I was eyeing for the Lakers here. Um yeah. I really like this fit. Uh, you want to kind of get into why you seem to be a fan too, right? Uh, I definitely don't have trade zones in the lottery, like uh, or near the lottery, like Richard does. But he definitely seems like kind of the Lakers type of point guard, and actually the type of point guards who have um, excelled next to LeBron before are the guys who don't need to dominate the ball, um, the guys who can really make their living off of playing excellent defense and just being ready whenever the ball comes away in their way. Uh, Trey Jones definitely seems like a Lakers type of point guard. And Rich exposed me. I'm going precious at 30. I think uh, this is – I just love the fit. I think that, you know, precious the guy that needs to be in a decent development, and I think that Boston's okay in that, uh, not elite like some of these other teams we've mentioned, but they really are looking for a switching center. And obviously I, I think that that's where precious – uh, can really excel. I, I like the defensive tools he has and just the ridiculous energy that he gives. 
And, yeah, I mean, I think that as long as they can uh, keep him in a big man role on the offensive end rather than him thinking he's a wing, like, sure, maybe attack closeouts uh, every once in a while, but Precious does need to be the one bringing the ball up the floor and definitely not running a pick and roll of any sorts. So I trust Boston to uh, keep him in a good role there, and I think he's uh, a really good value here at 30, one of the guys that definitely fell for us. Yeah, this is a dream draft for Boston. I mean, to get uh, an excellent fit at 30, Precious would just be fantastic for Boston's defensive needs and, you know, a low usage type of player who can dominate the pick and rolls with any number of guys. Fantastic fit here at 30. I just want to ask, how do you how do you see him over, like, a Tillman? Because Tillman, I at least see kind of like, kind of like a type of a guy that's, you know, they're not going to expect much from him, but just gives incredible contributions. That seemed like him. Yeah, Tillman was a guy that uh, was definitely right there with Precious for me. It just comes down to, I think, that Precious has the higher upside. I like the switchability of him a bit better there. Um, but Tillman was definitely in close consideration. I really like the passing that Tillman gives you. Um, ultimately, I just like Precious a bit better as a prospect over Tillman if you're valuing upside rather than floor. Um, and I think Boston's kind of in that position. But they definitely were neck and neck there. And Isaiah Stewart's not all too far off, but I'm a little lower on him than those other two guys. Um, but that's our entire first round, guys. Yeah, I'll I'll read through it real quick, and we'll get a last thought or two before we wrap up and send it to part two for the second round. Number one pick, Golden State Warriors take James Wiseman. Number two, Cleveland grabs Anthony Edwards. Number three is the Congo to Minnesota. Number four, Atlanta takes Okoro. Number five, LaMelo Ball to Detroit. Number six, Killian Hayes to the New York Knicks. Number seven, Devin Vassell to Chicago. Number eight, Cole Anthony to Charlotte. Number nine, the Wizards take Denny Avdia. Number 10, Obi Toppin to the Phoenix Suns. Number 11, Patrick Williams goes to the Spurs. Number 12, your Sacramento Kings take Tyrese Halliburton. Woo! Number 13, New Orleans Pelicans get Sadiq Bay. 14, uh, Neesmith to Portland. 15, Kyra Lewis to Orlando. 16, Maxi to Minnesota. 17, Poku goes to the Boston Celtics. 18, Dallas takes Josh Green. 19, Grant Riller to Milwaukee. 20, Leandro Balmaro to Brooklyn. 21, Denver takes Zeke Nagy. 22, Desmond Bain to the 76ers. 23, Jaden McDaniels to the Heat. 24, Teo Maladon to the Jazz. 25, RJ Hampton to the Thunder. 26, Tyrell Terry to the Boston Celtics. 27, Jalen Smith to the Knicks. 28, Paul Reed to the Toronto Raptors. 29, the Lakers take Trey Jones. And finally, Number 30, Precious Achua to the Boston Celtics. I don't know how in the world Brendan did it, but Boston had the best draft here. That's a ridiculous combination. Yeah, it was interesting that some guys definitely fell for Boston, and in general, I think it was interesting how some guys fell across the board. Like, I think Detroit at five is psyched to get LaMelo Ball. Uh, Sacramento getting Halliburton at 12, I think is nice. OKC for RJ Hampton at 14. 
Um, I, I think we definitely had some guys sliding down the boards a little bit here. Um, and with it being such an even pool of talent, once you reach a certain point, or seemingly, I mean, Nate said it at one point, I think a lot of this is going to have to do with fit. Um, and that's why you see a little bit of some, you know, maybe risers, depending how you look at it, and like Balmero going 20, uh, Zeke Naji going 21, Desmond Bain 22. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, I'm happy with how I came out with Boston, but I think some other teams are looking, feeling pretty good after this one too. Well, I know how you did it. I know how Boston did it. They had a really good general manager that built a really good team while collecting <laughs> And then they were able to just sit back because they have no throbbing need at any position or any role. They can just sit back and take the best player available every single time. Must be nice. It must be nice. Uh, don't know anything about that here in Sacramento. I will say for my teams, I think uh, I was in some tough spots early, and I think that also like trying to – Trying to trying to run the draft a bit also caught me off guard, but I felt like I hit my stride later on and got guys like uh, uh, Josh Green for Dallas was exactly who I wanted for Dallas. I think that's a great, great pick for what they need. Same for Teo Maladon and the Jazz and Trey Jones, I think, is, is really good for the Lakers. So those are my teams that I think made out the best. Uh, what about you, Nate? It's Timberwolves. I just I just really like a Kong Wu and Maxi. Yeah, it's it's funny when you get to when you get post lottery, you just really start seeing the flatness of the draft. And um, I think I think when I'm looking at like the ranks I have next to these players. You know, I think Paul Reed was was probably the biggest. My my selection was like one of the biggest uh, overdrafts. Whereas like R J Hampton was one of the biggest drops. And you know that's probably that's what's going to happen in some of these areas. And I do think as a Kings fan, uh, you do kind of want to root for Cole Anthony getting drafted high and maybe Kyra Lewis rising higher than we drafted, um, which could really make the drafts interesting. I I was really curious uh, where Toppin was going to go once we started getting lower. Um, Because I I could see a, a world where he's there for the Kings um, but some of these athletic fours have definitely struggled or not produced as well. And I'm thinking, like, I'm not saying their careers are over, but you got Rui, you got Jabari Parker, you got flashback to Derek Williams. Um, and those kind of players, you know, nothing against Topham, have just they've, they've struggled for, for different reasons. Um, but he could be available, and we could be looking at this incredibly productive player with now, uh, you know, a pen- potential need on, on the Kings front court and he, you know he could be the guy and maybe that could be great but I, I think there would definitely be some anxiety on draft night well there's always going to be anxiety in draft night in Sacramento that's just a you know, tradition at this point I'd feel pretty relieved at the end of the day though if Sacramento was leaving with Tyrese Halliburton yeah definitely I agree I think that was the right pick for Sacramento um, my favorite fit that I made tonight uh, was Jaden McDaniels going to Miami. I love uh, the idea of him going to that kind of system. Um, and Miami's already one of my favorite teams to watch just because they're so rough and tumble and high IQ and built the right way. So I like that one a lot. Um, New York was a lot of fun too. Killian Hayes seems like a good fit there. Um, and Jalen Smith it went. 10 picks after he's on my big board. So that was good to select him. 
I also think you did well. I mean, you know, not really up to you, but to get Lamelo to fall to five, yeah. I, that's found money. Yeah, at that point, I definitely think that Lamelo is kind of a lock to go in the top three or so pick. Um, whether that's just because the team that needs him is sitting there or because some team wants to jump up and get him. But I definitely think he's one of the three best players in this draft. So Detroit is Detroit fans must be loving this moment. All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening. Please join us again for part two. When we're going to do all 30 picks in the second round. That should be out shortly. In the meantime, please check out kingsherald.com. Uh, King, you know, local Sacramento writers writing about the Sacramento Kings. What an idea. Check out the Patreon layer there, please. Yeah, and part two of this will be up uh, in the next few days here. Sacramento's got some decent talent on the board, selecting at 35 and a couple of these second rounders. But thanks to everybody for listening through this episode of the Kings Bulls podcast. And you hear from us again in the next couple of days.